0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the PropSwap podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein and Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of PropSwap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got another great episode for you. We are pleased to be joined by the former CIO of PointsBet, Seth Young. Uh we'll go through some stake or swaps. Uh but first, uh have to talk a little bit about uh NFL Wild Card weekend. Uh it was uh, a bunch of exciting games. Uh Luke, what what stood out
1: to you the most? Got to be the Jacksonville Charger game. Um uh, just Incredible. Uh I know you and I were texting during the game. Like this game's pretty much over. Trevor Lawrence had four picks and five drives, I want to say. Like there's certainly three picks and four drives. Um so just horrific start for Jacksonville in Jacksonville. You would have loved, you know, I'm sure Peterson and and Trevor had plans to jump out early on that team and the exact opposite happened.
0: Yeah, um, it was just a t- another typical Charger game. Uh, yeah, we were texting, you know, shades of of the TCU Georgia game, right? This was going to be a, a, a blowout, um, but you know, just terrible kind of game management by by Brandon Staley, you know, not being able to to hold the lead, uh, terrible penalty by uh, Bosa, um, you know, getting the unsportsmanlike conduct, which then moved the extra point up from the two yard line to the one yard line. Peterson decides to go for two to cut it from a, it was a four point game. So instead of taking the extra point, he went for two on the one yard line, which uh, is pretty much a gear, you know, is, you know, almost a guarantee now, except if your name's Tyler Huntley, but um, that definitely changed the game when they made it a two point game. And, and um, yeah, just, uh, just a, a, a terrible game. But um what did what did you think of the 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 announcing of that
1: of that crazy comeback? Yeah, I mean I I didn't I thought even before that, you know, I get it. Like you're watching the game and it's a blowout. you want to fall asleep. Like that's not a uncommon thing to do. We were all upset it was a poor game in the first half. But your job getting paid, you know, Al Michaels gets a million bucks a game from Amazon. I'm assuming NBC paid him somewhat in that range for Saturday night's broadcast like it's your job to get the audience excited and they were acting as if this was like the most boring you know uh, Texans Colts regular season game that nobody cares about and this is like AFC super wild card, you know to, to recap 28 seconds left in the second quarter 27 nothing Chargers of course the final 31 30 Jaguars like that is one of the most crazy historic comebacks ever, and they acted as if it was the most boring regular season game ever. So I understand the, the chastise of of Michaels.
0: Yeah. Um. You know, I can see, you know, basically, you know, kind of falling into a lull when it's a 27 nothing game. But, yeah, they did not flip that switch back on when, when the Jaguars were making the comeback. Um, It was definitely something I noticed, you noticed, a lot of people noticed uh, online. I uh, put a lot of the blame on Tony Dungy as well because mm. it's not – crazy for the play-by-play guy to just kind of be the more you know solemn guy i mean you know pat summerall one of the most iconic play-by-play announcers ever he was always kind of you know even keeled and it was john madden that was that would go crazy and tony dungy uh had no business being being in that booth right and so you know i don't think you need to feed off each other but uh you know if al michaels is going to be kind of you know more even keeled then tony dungy or whoever the color guy is is the one that needs to step it up so I, i put some of the blame on him as well but I did things in- interesting that during the Sunday night game, uh, uh, Bengals Ravens during that ninety uh, nine yard fumble uh, uh, recovery for a touchdown, Mike Tirico went absolutely nuts, and everyone was like, "That's how you call, uh, uh, you know, a, a crazy playoff,
1: uh, you know, turn of events." Yeah. Totally. And I and I thought Romo and Nance were a little bit more hyped up. Romo's always kind of a goofball these days. Um, but Nance is usually pretty calm. Um, Nance was pretty wound up on, on Sunday mornings. So I think I think he kind of read some feedback as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then the other piece of announcer shout out I'll give to is, is Greg Olson. I I think he's uh, he's great and mm-hmm. um, you know, I hope uh, you know, Fox makes him you know, when when Tom Brady finally does retire, uh I guess he'll he'll be the number one guy in the booth. But I think I think Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhardt did a, a great job during that Vikings Giants game.
1: Agreed. Olson's great. Yeah, I'm not I'm, Tom Brady's an incredible human, of course. Um but I'm not too sold on his ability to be a really good broadcaster. He's a pretty uh Pretty monotonous person. He is very different than Peyton Manning in terms of just demeanor.
0: I I agree. I I don't know what Tom Brady has ever said in interviews to make people think like, oh my god, this guy's going to make you know for a great you know color commentator. Yeah. Um, this is random, but something something I think about often is, remember when Jay Cutler signed a deal to be like a CBS announcer and then the Dolphins like, you know, uh, paid him for a one-year deal and then that just kind of fell by the wayside? I would have loved to have seen Jay Cutler uh, announce games. That that would have been
1: talk, – we're talking about wild cards. Um, that would have been a wild card to have him in the booth. Yes, <laughs> in my opinion, on the negative side. But, yes, it's like pain to watch a car crash. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, well, I think, uh, yeah – uh, Al Michaels and, and Tony Dungy—that was their uh, their one and only playoff game. So uh, we will not be uh, seeing them return to the booth. But um, yeah, I thought uh, Wild Card Weekend provided a lot of exciting games, uh, especially for a weekend that we thought might have had uh, a few blowouts. Um, so great weekend of games. Uh, super excited about the the divisional round, which we will get into more in Stake or Swap. Uh, but first, let's we will get into our interview with uh, Seth Young. Hope you enjoy. And we are here with Seth Young industry veteran been in the business for almost two decades Seth thanks for, for joining us
2: it is my pleasure Luke my pleasure thank you for having me uh,
0: so we wanted to have you on just because uh, your your track record your your, your history the in, in the industry has just kind of spanned over uh, obviously a lot of years but also uh, with a lot of different companies and you've kind of been on the the precipice of this of the sports betting thing uh uh very early on uh, i think we first met you when you were with foxwoods uh and you were uh extremely integral in in kind of uh developing their their social casino and their and their internet gaming obviously helped you help bring sports betting to to connecticut um what was what was your job like there at, at foxwoods and and what was it like trying to bring kind of internet gaming to uh to a travel casino like that
2: that's a a huge question. This will this will be a fun one. Uh, Foxwoods was awesome uh, in all ways, and I, I, they know this now. And and I could say it now. They could have paid me a dollar, and I still would have taken the job. I thought for that job. Uh, I, I was immediately preceding that. I was uh, involved with the daily fantasy sports space with Star Fantasy Leagues at the same time. DraftKings launched, band and launched. Um, and when there was the that inflection point with the Attorney General in New York, it was very messy. We ended up pivoting to be a B2B platform, and uh, DraftKings and FanDuel became what they were, and um, ended up leaving that 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 startup uh, and really, really wanted to be at Foxwoods. I grew up in New York. uh used to play a lot of poker at Foxwoods uh, back in the day, and I never thought I'd work there, but there was this really old, well, not super old, but at least a some nuance in law that allowed would have allowed Connecticut to be the first state to launch sports betting uh, through the tribes uh, to the extent that PASPA was repealed, and, and it was really overlooked. And um, what I didn't know at the time uh, were how tribal politics might intersect uh, with that, which was a tremendous learning experience when I was at, at the, uh, uh, the property and working with the Mashitaka Pequa Tribal Nation. What can I say about that role it was an unbelievable learning experience for me in all ways. Uh, the people I was surrounded with at that organization were consummate professionals. I wanted to know what it was like to work in a casino. I had more of an entrepreneurial background and never been in uh, a corporate environment. Why not start with one of the largest casinos in the world, I guess? Uh, uh, so I was very lucky to be um, uh, take that role and uh, work with some great folks some of whom i am w- still working with today on various projects and um, the whole interactive gaming and sports betting evolution in Connecticut was an absolute trip uh, i remember when we started the process a gentleman named aviram elroy uh, was on the other side of uh, at, at mohegan Sun, and uh, he and i became very friendly and he's uh, a good guy we know Avi he's a tremendous guy uh, I think he's working with that way now if I'm not mistaken uh, and we sat down and said how can we make this happen uh, you know what will this look like in terms of financial projections how do we you know get this adopted by the state and it was a very big split um, in the state of, of people that were proponents of it people that were not um, and the tribes had had their own ideas about about how it would it would work uh, so we ended up, I guess testifying early, uh, you know, Connecticut had hearings pretty, pretty early on, um, you know, just after the repeal of PASPA uh, in the Supreme Court case in December of, I want to say, what was it, 20, 2018? Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017, 2018, I think it moved. I can't remember. Time flies. Um and it was it was a multi-year battle. I ended up leaving Foxwood at some point, uh, you know, in the midst of that battle to go over to points bet, which was also a tremendous uh, experience for me and uh, today doing a great many things, which is super exciting.
0: Yeah, um, oh, yeah. I, I want to get to points, Beth, but you mentioned kind of the, the tribal politics. Uh, we're seeing that play out in California. Um, obviously, there's a lot more tribal casinos in California uh, than there are in Connecticut with just Foxwoods and, and Mohegan Sun. But, um, you know, what what was it about Connecticut that allowed it to, to actually happen versus what we're seeing in California, where it's just, I mean, a ton of infighting going on there? Yeah,
2: it's a, it's a, it's a great question. I, I can only give you my opinion. Um, California and, and Connecticut couldn't be more different in terms of market composition, uh, <laughs> stakeholders, size, politics. Uh, you know, in Connecticut, the tribes are, are are very influential, and as well, they should be. They're they main drivers of uh, of tourism, of uh, economic growth. They're economic engines in their regions. Uh, for all the people that these uh, that the tribes and, and the gaming enterprises employ, which is in the thousands directly, I think. When I was at Foxwoods, it was close to 7,000. Mohegan may, might have been slightly larger. There's all of the businesses around those properties that have to serve the properties, too. So on the whole, it's, it, it employs a tremendous amount of people in the region. And the state, uh, because of the the way the gaming compacts are structured, gets a revenue share on slots, on uh, slot revenue, which has been billions of dollars over the course of those the lifetimes of those properties to the state, uh, which has funded – Tremendous amount of public policy initiatives, um, so it was a huge line item in the budget. That, um, if gone, uh, somewhat similar to, in some ways, to, to the Seminoles in Florida uh, when they, they, you know, like other tribes, threaten to hold back revenue to get what they want, um, it 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 creates a huge gap uh, in the government's budget. So I think that's that was a huge part of it. You know. MGM was definitely involved in in that process, uh, being just over the border in Springfield. There was another tribe that didn't have federal recognition or a property at the time that popped up here and there. Um, Everybody had an opinion, one, because it was early on in the whole discussion and um, early legislation or early movement kind of um, can snowball into, into momentum in other places and you want to make sure you get it right. And two, there's just a lot of money in the market. It's a great revenue opportunity. Who wouldn't want to address it? Um, tribes definitely want, wanted to make sure, and rightfully so, that, um, that gaming, anything you know, carved out for them, uh, would remain under their purview. Uh, so there was a great compromise where the Connecticut Lottery was, was able to participate, um, uh, and, uh, and the tribes ultimately got what they wanted. California, though, anybody's guess. I mean, there's it's a lot more people, there's a lot more grassroots, a lot more opinions. A uh, lot more money flowing into those fights uh, from a lobbying perspective than, than uh, were in Connecticut and um, different stakeholders. So while Connecticut may have that sport tech, sport tech, you know, didn't have the same kind of moxie in, in that state as, as maybe some of the commercial card rooms or, um, you know, horse racing does in California, for example. Uh, it's apples and oranges.
0: Um, so. You, you left Foxwoods in 2018 uh, to, to join PointsBet. Uh, at that point, uh, PointsBet, uh, you know, in America, no one knew what that was, but uh, it's, it's headquartered in Australia. It's a very established company over there. Um, what was kind of when you took over your, your role there at PointsBet, what was your, your number one goal uh, when, when, when you joined? For myself, for the company. Uh, well, I mean, just like when when you when you took the job, it was like, okay, what was like the first the first thing you thought, okay, that we need to do to kind of bring this points bet name to to the U.S. Which you know, because at that time, FanDuel, DraftKings, MGM, Caesars, like those are all pretty well known names to the U.S. consumer. Points Bet, very brand new. What was kind of your your number one goal in terms of of getting the name out there and 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 growing the brand?
2: Make it work. Uh, so I was um, when I was. When I made the decision to leave Foxwoods, which was a hard one, um, I have a lot of love for that organization. Um, I had been, I had been looking at a number of different paths, uh, whether it was doing something on my own with some partners, whether it was joining a different business, or whether it was PointsBet, and um, PointsBet was the closest. There came a point where I realized that there was no way that I could pull off something that was would be remotely relevant without a tremendous amount of help and in infrastructure. Uh, and at the time that I was I was considering it, it just wasn't a reality to, to get moving quickly. Um, PointsBet was that best option. It was a, still a very young company. Um, there was a, a lot of upside in joining the business, uh, you know, to the extent that, that we grew it. Um, so my mandate was was very simply and not so simple, grow this thing. Uh, you know, how can we be relevant? Uh So, took on the role and, and, you know, worked alongside some fantastic people to drive market access deals, um, bring us to a point where we could IPO, uh, uh, at least participate in that process and and make sure while I was focused mostly externally that everybody else that was focused internally would have all of the um, tools and resources they needed to uh, help grow the company. Um, so I'm, I'm super proud of, of what we were able to do, and, and we would joke often early on that we shouldn't have the opportunity that that we backed ourselves into. We were able to make a lot of deals very quickly to uh, ensure that we have the ability to try to succeed in the markets. Um, if you don't have a license and you don't have access to a market, you can't even have that shot. Michigan's a great example of limited license opportunity. New York, where there are more um you know, prospective entrance than licensees. So, yeah, it was a, a huge effort in uh, finding ourselves in the right places at the right times. Uh, but most importantly, it was a huge effort in delivering on all of the things that we said we were going to do. Without the track record in the U.S. Uh, being an endemic uh, casino brand or uh, an existing fantasy brand that had uh, had some connectivity. Yeah, I was going to ask, can you just explain everyone what your title was there? It was Chief Innovation Officer, which was uh, basically a fancy title for let's do whatever we can to to make sure we we can realize the opportunity. Uh, So, like I said, tremendous group of folks, and and it was just a massive amount of work and hustle and long nights, um, all of which are amazing and, and has built a company from, you know, 20 people to, you know, hundreds uh, with with offices across the world publicly traded um, here in the U.S. and, and in Australia uh, with a, an unbelievable amount of sophistication within the business. Um, still a lot of growth in front of the company for sure, uh, you know, in my view, and I'm really proud of, of what we were able to accomplish there in the time I spent at PointsBet. Yeah.
1: You you did an excellent job. I I, I always, and you smiled when you said what your role was, because I would always chuckle as well. Like, startups (laughs) and their, you know, CIO and CEO and CMO and CTO like CLO, like, there's so many different C-suite roles. And, like, to me, like, we were at so many different conferences over the last, you know, from when you took the job until when you left. Like, you were the face of that. Companies certainly, at from an industry perspective, industry insider perspective. So I always would laugh at that title. Like um, it was, it was an interesting one, given what your uh, exposure was and the branding that you gave that company coming into this country.
2: I appreciate you saying that. We would joke all the time. You know, chief innovation officer is just a, a fancy c level title. First in, a uh, last in, first out. <laughs> And that was fine with me. You know, I I knew exactly what I was there to do. I knew exactly what it meant for me and and for the people around me. And uh, I was very confident in in my ability to to do the role that I was tasked with, and I did. And um, I like the innovation title only because over the last 20 years that I've spent in the market roughly, I've I've been very, very lucky to build a, a, a tremendous network of amazing people, typically, with, with a lot of early-stage business and, and the, more of the bleeding-edge stuff where I'm really drawn to. So um, it did fit, uh, but, you know, the great irony is that, uh, you know, in the, in the time that I spent there in the life cycle where the company was, it was mu- much more growth phase and let's deal with the hygiene elements, get everything working before we start being major innovators, uh, which wasn't lost on anybody within the business. And Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so – I, I, when I look back at uh, at your time points, but I think one of the things that that stands out in terms of innovation and and standing out was this creation of the the Karma Committee. Um, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but it started with the the Rams Saints NFC Championship, uh, where and. and uh, Prop Swap is, is uh, linked to that as well with uh, one of our biggest sales ever uh, was was on someone bought a, it with Cousin Sal and Clay Travis bought a Saints to win the Super Bowl ticket um, right before that game. And then obviously there was that uh, that no call on the pass interference. Uh, you guys, you know, got a lot of uh, great PR with with refunding those bets. And then that has kind of snowballed into pretty much a lot of these sports books do these ba- these bad beat refunds so um, you know what was what was, you know were you instrumental in the creation of that and, and what was the feedback when, when you guys started that I wish I could say yes the answer is no it wasn't me at all uh,
2: it was uh, the Australian contingent who had sort of been there before and and uh, have you know the, the, a lot of tried and true things that that work in other markets clearly we're going work here we've just never seen it in a regulated environment uh, you know we have and still have at, at points, but brilliant marketing folks uh, and just very smart people who know when to pick the right times to do things like this. And it was very deliberate. And it was um, uh, it was definitely not me, uh, <laughs> but I was I was there, and I remember it, and I remember it being a fantastic idea. Uh, but I couldn't possibly take credit
1: for it. Yeah, that was I think there was mentioned on Good Morning America, like the exposure that that you guys got from that promotion that to me made all the sense in the world. And, you know, as we know on PropSwap with cash out or PropSwap, for the most part, more than 50% of that money is re-wagered. So it's not a horrible deal for the sports book to give that money back, knowing that at least 50% of that cash that we're paying out is just going to be put into brand new sports bets.
2: Yeah, look, I don't think it's unfair to say it was, you know, this was January. This was, was two, three weeks after Points PointsBet launched. Realistically, it didn't cost a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was one of those things where any bookmaker can look at it and say, This will definitely be part of a news cycle for 72, 84, 96 hours, whatever it is. Why not get in front of it? You know, for, for X dollars that it may cost, we may get, you know, Y dollars in, in brand awareness. And then, frankly, that, that is the calculus. Anybody that tells you differently is lying. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a nice thing to do. It was the right thing.
0: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, color me skeptical if, you know, sports books are like we're doing this out of the goodness of our hearts and not for the PR and the fact that people are going to bet again.
2: I'll push back on what you said only because, you know, with, with obviously with some, some exceptions, a lot of people within the sports betting business, especially on the executive level like to bet on sports, sports fans, right? If you were a consumer for another book and they were to refund a bad beat like that. You'd probably like it and you'd probably stay and you'd probably play further, but there was a lot of, this is the right thing to do. We should do this. It sort of sets the tone for who we are as a brand. And I like that a lot. Um,
0: Yeah. And look, um, you know, we props up also offered a, a, uh, a karma kind of plan. When, when COVID happened and March madness got, uh, uh, canceled. Um, and a lot of our sellers uh, stepped up and refunded money and we we, we called it the, uh, the the good current plan and and to your point that was it was it was the right thing to do it was a situation that was out of everyone 's control and um, yeah no I I, I I would I would agree with that um, you You mentioned um, you know market access being a, a huge thing uh, in terms of kind of uh, how points bet started out, um, kind of flipping to the, the current day of, of sports betting, you know, we talk a lot about fanatics uh, on, on this podcast. And, um, you know, for example, I, I was going to ask you, you know, what importance do you put on in a sports book kind of being there day one um, in terms of, you know, gaining gaining customers? Um, is it possible for sports books to kind of um, – to to enter after everyone else has come into a state. The reason I bring this up is because uh, Ohio went live on January 1st and, you know, Fanatics, uh, which we we're all expecting to make a big splash in this industry uh, was not live, ready to go day one. So, you know, my question is, what importance did you put on that, uh, you know, with, with points bet, and do you think it's possible for a company like Fanatics to still gain uh, market share, even, you know, not being live day one?
2: Yeah, it's a hard one to answer. I'll try. Um... I think in the early days, it was it was important to move fast. Uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of momentum. Um, part of part of the advocacy for some groups versus others was owning tech versus licensing tech, and how that means you could potentially move faster or slower or adapt more easily in, in, in a very fragmented USA, which is more like fifty countries uh, that are regulating it with their own borders. Um, I'd say it's, it's important, but it's not the only thing. Uh, if you look, you know, Leo Vegas is a really good example of a company uh, born out of Scandinavia, that uh, Sweden, that uh, MGM just purchased, by the way, and uh, they had a tremendous amount of success coming into a very mature market uh, by zigging when others were zagging with customer acquisition tactics and with product, and uh, just a very well-run, well-put-together business jury's out on what Fanatics is going to do, but they have tremendous people working on working on that business. And um, you know, I'm keenly interested in, in in sort of how they roll out a company like that. You know, I would say a Fanatics versus Company A that that is lesser capitalized or has a, a lesser depth of, of assets. That company probably couldn't come in and be successful. Company A. Uh, Fanatics, I think they have a real shot. I mean, it's a, it's a big business that has a fair amount of cash behind it. They can compete. They can afford to lose money until they don't. Um, you know, what we know, uh, and it's been tried and true for as long as gambling has existed, is that sports betting, online casino, all these things that underlying business models are profitable. Uh, so, sure, any any brand has to go through a sustained period of, of investment. Um, fanatics just has, uh, at least from the outside looking in, the opportunity to do that in a larger way than than others. Uh, so, to that end, I think they they could potentially find success if they uh, have more long term thinking than than quarterly thinking, which is tough for for corporate bookmakers and, uh, that are publicly
1: traded. Yeah. Raising uh, seven hundred million can help your cause.
2: Yeah, and, and so public markets tend to get you know, at least it's, as I see it, you get a pass for first couple quarters and. As we've seen across the industry, there's been a pullback on marketing. There's been a focus on profitability. Companies are are distressed, especially with macro market conditions being tough. And um, you have to continue to enjoy capital support to continue to invest uh, without being profitable. Uh, So if their shareholders are on board and they think this can be a long-term play, um, you know, brands like DraftKings, Pandal, et cetera, they they tend to be taking an approach that's more like Amazon, where if we spend – uh, to own this market over the first five years will probably own it for 30. Uh, it has to be the calculus uh, short-term thinking hurts
0: um, so switching kind of gears to to your current um roles uh i know last time we talked you're you telling me that you know you serve as a, an advisor to to many uh different different companies um how many i mean how many companies are you working with right now um you know what uh, and you know what are you kind of looking for in in the company when when someone approaches you about about working with them? <laughs> the answer is too many uh, <laughs> and not enough. Uh,
2: I uh, I'm doing a lot of things now. Um, I'll answer that second question momentarily, but for the first one, um, part of part of the reason I, I like the advisory stuff is that when I started, you know, many years ago, there was no roadmap, there was no. Uh, mentorship, And, you know, look, 20 years in, I got a little bit more forehead than I did 20 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit more knowledge uh, on certain things. And I, I'm one of those people that likes to send the elevator down and, um, you know, try to help when I can. Uh, if I can be helpful, I, I'd love to be. And I have a, a very vast range of interests, uh, you know, both in, in B2C and, and the direct operating um Opportunities uh, like points bet, and then the supporting economy and the B two B economy, which is all of the ancillary tech that supports the, the main operations. Uh, I love that that type of business too, and and um, I would say there's there's probably no vertical uh, within the, the gaming space with with like one or two exceptions that I don't have some kind of connectivity into, uh, and that's awesome. It's awesome. Um, what am I looking for? <laughs> that's a better question. I, I think it, it it depends on on the on the vertical, right? Um, fantasy sports is one good example where there's so much commodity stuff. Um, everybody and their mother kind of has the same thing. Audience is not a commodity, uh, so you know good marketing chops and um, you know a real line of sights executing on that marketing with with good metrics are. Are important. If I see somebody reference a handle number, for example, for the sports betting industry as the revenue opportunity, it's no because you don't know you don't know the market even a little bit. You've done no research. A lot of it comes down to people. Uh, shouldn't be lost on you guys having a, a startup that that has been uh, one of the bells of the industry. In my view, is uh, that people think that you guys can pull off what you say you're doing, and, and that's that goes for any anything that I'm looking at too. Um, I really am drawn to the non-commodity stuff, though. Uh, Things like Connectify, uh, where I'm fortunate to sit on the board and and participating as an investor, uh, is a a piece of technology that allows uh, compliance departments within casinos or interactive businesses to cut their investigation workflow from from eight hours a person to 45 minutes a person. Uh, It's one of those things that provides a tremendous amount of efficiency and speed and operation. Uh, and it's a cost saver for organizations. and, and it, there's nothing like it, right? Um, company out of the UK that uh, I'll, I'll be participating in shortly is a company called Clearstake. And they do affordability checks for that market, which is uh, um, quite relevant now when uh, when that market is constricting, responsible gambling is 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 a thing, Kindbridge, bridge, where um, we're aiming to treat responsible gambling. Uh, through telehealth mechanics and working with insurance companies to classify uh, problem gambling as problem gambling rather than depression or dick, uh, or anxiety uh, is a huge thing. So I guess I'm drawn to the stuff that that is you know not a fad but more of a relevant, sustainable vertical. And then you know end of the day, if if I know anything, it, it I feel like I know looking at a product, looking, you know, more deeply into the business, what, what may work and what may not based on who's behind it and, uh, sort of what they're doing. So yeah,
1: yeah. just on the, uh, on the clear stake, um, venture, they are checking for gamblers, uh, financial ability to make sports bets or to, to gamble.
2: Gamble generally the UK, look, I'm not an expert in the UK market, but what I know and what we're seeing is that, uh, there's. A market that's been constricting rather than expanding as a function of being very mature. Every town in the UK has has what a pub, a church, and a betting shop. Right, mm-hmm. uh, it's cultural, and and uh, the government, for one reason or another, believes that it's something they need to step into and uh, and and assist with. And this is a, a company that uh, can provide tools to um, help people moderate their spending or help operators uh, moderate those that that may not be moderating themselves potentially. Um, among other things. So uh, just good piece of tech. Uh, as, as gambling continues to proliferate, you're going to have, you know, the vocal proponents of it, like us, like myself, who believe that it's going to happen anyway and may as well, um, you know, use some of the – the proceeds to fund public policy initiatives. And then you'll have the other side who have a fundamental moral opposition to the proliferation of gambling within culture, um, without really do- going, going much further than their own, than their own views, which are fine. Uh, but there is very much a split and, and that's going to happen cycling in, in just about every market probably. Right. So, um, those are just some examples. I'm, I'm doing some other amazing stuff that I'm equally, if not more excited about in many ways, including cafe bet, uh, which is the U.S.'s first gambling brand for the 64 million people that identify as Latino or Hispanic. Uh, so much opportunity and so many smart people working in the industry now. It's wonderful.
1: Are you got Is Hefe Bet taking bets at this point, or are you working towards that goal? We're not, but we will soon, just not in the USA. Uh,
2: so the plan here um, has always been uh, since day one. Uh, when I'm advising companies – Particularly in fantasy but I can count probably dozens of conversations I've had with people saying, "What do you think of this?" Well, I think the tech is great, but it's more about what you can do with it. Do you have an audience? Uh, There's no use in building something if you're building a ghost town. So we we took a bit of a backwards approach to market with Hefebet, backwards in, in quotes, in the sense that we wanted to build into some semblance of audience and brand recognition before we introduced monetization features, whether it's products or advertising or anything else. Um, But we know gambling. We know how to operate, and and that was always in the rearview mirror and, well, in focus, uh, putting it a better way. So we're looking to launch Real Money Gaming uh, in in Peru and Chile in in short order, Uh, probably end of Q1, uh, early Q2 this year, uh, in concert with some fantastic partners. Uh, Half of our traffic at hefebet.com, which has grown immensely uh, is out of Latam and we have a fair amount of, of, of traffic uh, in, in those countries that we're addressing. Uh, tremendous technology partners, um, and the traffic is sustainable. It's 88% organic uh, as of the end of December, meaning that we're not paying for it. Uh, it's just a, a function of creating content um, with a tremendous, tremendous team, uh, you know, across our, our web properties and otherwise.
1: Hefe mean, means king in Spanish? Is that right? The Boss. Yeah. Got it.
0: Um, so, uh, kind of looking, you know, for next three to five, you know, next three to five years. Obviously, I know you've got your hands in a lot of different verticals. Uh, it sounds like you know you're really open to anything. But is there any kind of trends or, or verticals that that you're really excited about um, when you when you kind of look in the future?
2: Yes and no. Um, there's. The, the one thing I've learned, if I've learned anything is that there is always something new all the time, especially in a space that's so large, especially with such smart people. And for the first time really in my career, especially in the United States, you know, it's, it's a regulated market where there are now traditional career paths that can be pursued by the next generation of, of, um, of interested worker, I guess. And, uh, that leads to different ways of thinking around um, around what, what product might look like and uh, what might be interesting in terms of new kinds of betting innovations. Um, Ultimate odds with Jonathan Beerig is a great example of this. I, I uh, got involved with that company as an investor. Uh, Jonathan is is young; he's 21, 22, I think now. Um, and part of the calculus for me was, you know, I'm I'm almost forty. Uh, I'm not twenty two. There's there's a generation gap now, uh, which is painful to say out loud, but now I can there. see the world through the eyes of a 22-year-old and how they might um, you know, go, go through business, and uh, that's valuable. So I'm excited about the, the, the new stuff that's coming from, from new people. Um, I'm very excited uh, about the potential in Latin America, which is one of the last frontiers for regulated gambling. Uh, it seems to be uh, across most countries – uh, moving in that direction, um, which breeds uh, uh, a lot of great opportunity for markets that I, I think are, are quite cool. Um, then there are some of the things that that may or may not have staying power, like Metaverse stuff. Uh, if done well, maybe. Maybe it's exciting. I'm really into Web3 play and earn games. I think they're super cool. I know Web3 isn't exactly in vogue at the moment. Um, but the underlying technology has so many interesting applications, whether it's across payments or uh, games, smart contracts, compliance. Um, so, yeah, many, many things to be excited about.
1: You, uh, you've you mentioned your goal of becoming a casino owner. Uh, do you consider a a bet, a check that box, or will there be a separate journey uh, towards becoming that?
2: I'll tell you why I want to own a property, and, and I'm very lucky to be – working alongside somebody like Seth Shore who owns numerous properties and um, other amazing people who, who have the same, but Seth in particular and I uh, are working across a couple of companies and, um, you know, in North Las Vegas, the Lucky Club is becoming Ojos Locos, Sports Cantina, Casino, and Hotel Jefe is there. Uh, we'll have the branding, we'll have the the branding for the rewards program at the properties. That's cool. Uh a step further for me is, is really, you know, I was looking at, uh, not many people know this. I'm happy to share it. Uh, you know, right when COVID started, right after, when everything locked down, there was one casino that was uh, closed its doors up in Tahoe. I was the first person through those doors taking a look. <laughs> I had a, 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 somebody interested looking at, uh, with me at the time, and um, we went up there. There were three people on my plane from Denver to Reno. Uh, it was crazy, and there wasn't anything like it, um, and it was right-sized. And the property, for me, was meant to be something that we could experiment with. That particular property was making money as a function of just having the doors open. There was very little sophistication there in terms of player reinvestment or you know, considering what kinds of games were there. It was very much a local's place that was what it was. So you could sustain you could sustain the existing business, but there was space to throw in all the stuff that I'm interested in, you know, esports games that, that are on the floors and, and sometimes the wrong places or for the wrong demo or uh, new concepts that are looking for uh, a place to be incubated uh, to have a pilot get off the ground. I thought that would be a tremendously interesting venture and I still do. So we'll see one day.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the place to experiment is like dialed they there dozens of times it's beautiful it's not going anywhere um as opposed to you know the rural illinois you know <laughs> that would be the place to do it so makes sense yeah
0: so uh yeah i mean I, i've always appreciated your, your your forward thinking and and yeah your your appetite for for experience uh for experimenting and uh, new ideas because it certainly knows this this industry uh needs all of the the kind of the open thinkers and, and, uh, new ideas uh, possible. So, uh, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, seeing, uh, what, what you have, uh, in store next. Uh, you're always on the, uh, on the cutting edge. So, uh, Seth, thank you so much, uh, for, for joining us this week. Thanks guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you again to Seth for, for joining us this week. Um, we hope you enjoyed that interview. And so, uh, without further ado, it's time to get into stake or swap. This week, we will be discussing uh, Super Bowl MVPs. Uh, it's, not, it's an award that's not given out until the, uh, the end of the Super Bowl, but uh, lots of sports books have these odds up, and it is a great time uh, to start picking out some, some value. Uh, so first, we will talk about Christian McCaffrey, uh, the running back for the 49ers, currently 20-1 to to win Super Bowl MVP uh Luke, we'll start with you. Are you staking or swapping McCaffrey?
1: Yeah, I'm going to stake Christian McCaffrey to win Super Bowl MVP at 20 to 1. I just feel like A, he's a touchdown machine. The Niners love to run the football, and then simply based on value, the Niners are plus 380 like uh to win the Super Bowl and I'm getting their best player certainly this season. Um at 20 to one odds at more than five X better return than if I bet the SF, if I bet the Niners to win the championship, and getting more than five times my money by betting on McCaffrey. I just feel like that's a great bet. And at worst case, obviously with the props off angle, you can flip that during the super bowl. He has a, you know, 35 yard touchdown run or a nice out of the backfield catch, which basically he does every game. Like there's just so much value there. I, I don't understand why, the odds are so high. Obviously, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's in like the seven. Yeah, Brock Purdy's plus seven fifty. I would still give it to McCaffrey. Most of these touchdowns that Purdy's throwing to are, are like so much yak, so much yards after the catch. It's really not Purdy that's doing well. He's playing great for sure, but I just the given the value on McCaffrey, I would take him at twenty to one.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I would I would stake McCaffrey at at twenty to one as well. Uh, vast majority of the time, this award is given to quarterbacks. Uh, however, if you look at the top favorites right now, uh, Purdy is pretty much the only kind of game manager uh, of of the top favorites. And so, you know, if if I did think the 49ers uh, we gonna win the Super Bowl or the very least make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, the 49ers would be the team that I would look at. their are other offensive weapons, you know, besides the the quarterback. Uh I was I would also maybe sprinkle a little bit on Debo Samuel at at forty to one. Uh because to your point, um, you know, all these offensive weapons, it's so much yards after the catch. Uh, you know, Samuel had a had a seventy-four yard uh touchdown uh reception, quote unquote. But I mean I think you know, seventy of that came came yeah. after he, he 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 caught the ball. So, um, if if you like the Forty ers I think now would be a great time to be looking at you know some of these other offensive weapons. Uh, and like I said, even if they just win the NFC, I could you could see McCaffrey and Samuel being in the single digit odds. Um, you know, b- below below ten to one. So I, I agree. I would I would stake uh, McCaffrey as well as uh, Debo um, right now to win the Super Bowl MVP. Um, Going to the other side of the bracket, uh, we'll let's talk about the uh, the Bills quarterback Josh Allen currently six to one to win Super Bowl MVP. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I will stake Josh Allen six to one to win Super Bowl MVP. Uh, to your point, this. This has uh, a crazy amount of value compared to their Super Bowl futures. Um, right now, the bills are three and a half to one to win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, contrary to my point about the 49ers, I, I just do not see a scenario in which the bills win the Super Bowl, and Josh Allen doesn't win MVP, right? And the bills are my pick right now to win the Super Bowl, And so if I'm going to get six to one on something versus three and a half to one on something, then that's, you know, double uh, my money right there. Um, so a couple things. One, so they played the Bengals uh, this this weekend. Uh, for the Bills to beat the Bengals, Allen has to avoid taking sacks. He, he had seven uh, against the Dolphins. Uh, however, uh, the Bengals defense ranks 29th in sack percentage. So uh, I think this is going to be a favorable matchup uh, for, for the Bills this weekend. Uh, and then add that to the fact that I, last week, I talked about the, the injuries to the Bengals' offensive line. Uh, they got another one um, on, on Sunday against the Ravens, so three of their five starters, I think, are, are going to be out uh, th- this weekend. Uh, and then if the Bills get past the Bengals and they play the Chiefs in the conference championship weekend, uh, that game is going to take place on a neutral field in Atlanta. Uh, this is a, a result of the the uh, the game cancellation uh, the, the, the other week. Uh, the last two playoffs, the Bills have been eliminated by the Chiefs in Kansas City. Kansas City has been a a horror show uh, for the Bills, and so um, I think the fact that they play this game on a neutral field um, w- could really help them get get to the Super Bowl. So, uh, for those reasons, I am staking Josh Allen six to one to win
1: Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, no, it's um, it will help Buffalo. I think being played on a neutral field, but at the same time, I like, think they've looked pretty good in new york so i will i'll swap uh josh allen to win mvp at six to one you everyone knows my opinion on this podcast and the bills i just i still don't trust this team i didn't even realize they had that many sacks in the dolphins game but the dolphins could have won that football game with with like a complete rookie quarterback a 25 year old rookie quarterback um out of kansas state like they had no business winning that game the dolphins too. this the Bills just continue to to freak me out. I just they're not dominating the way they should. They are the they are the better team on paper versus Kansas City. I agree with that, but I just feel like Kansas City can score at will. Buffalo is not always able to score at will, so um, I I really think the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year or at least come out of the AFC. Uh, the Eagles are super contingent on Lane Johnson. I do have doubts that he's fully healthy, so there's my con- there's concern on the NFC side. But I think the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and for that reason, I would swap Josh Allen.
0: Yeah, uh, that's fair. Um, and you know, to your point, uh, Allen has thirty interceptions and fumbles uh, this this season, um, which le- which leads the league. So uh, he's definitely got to cl- clean up the the turnovers. I personally think that they just went into that Miami game, just assuming it was going to be a beatdown, oh, no. uh, and maybe just did not have the the, the focus. Uh, right there, uh, they were helped out a lot by the crowd. Uh, a bunch of false starts, delay of games, um, really helped them win. So I think that could help them um, again. They're playing at home this weekend against Cincinnati. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I just the Bills. I, I feel like it's they're due. This is this is their year. Uh, but regardless, if you agree or disagree with our picks, uh, I would. Definitely recommend checking out these Super Bowl uh, MVP odds because, like we just mentioned, you can get uh, way better value, um, you know, right now compared to the the teams' odds to to, to win the Super Bowl. Um, and you know, whether the before the game or during the game, you can always uh, flip for a profit on on Prop Swap. So um, that will do it uh, for this week's episode of the Prop Swap podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Seth. Uh, for his time. Please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and we will talk to you next week.